man, those were some two good episodes last week. But now we finally have to do this episode that we've been teasing the people for the last week and a half. Yep. Can't help but think that we're forgetting something, though. Oh, yeah. Before we begin. Yeah, because Mike wasn't here in the first episode. He wants us to make a correction. So let's play the correction thing. All right, Mike, what did we miss? Last week on the first episode, the, the Facts of Life episode, season one, you mentioned Dick Claire and Jenna McMahon, but you failed to mention what's probably their biggest success of all on TV. They wrote many episodes of Mama's Family. Yeah, we'll blame the fact it wasn't rerun on cable much in the 90s. Where were you watching? It was on TBS. Even nowadays, it's on Logo. That's a weak excuse. It's been on for years. I was checking TBS. I don't remember it on TBS. I if, remember it on TBS. If it was, I was probably at school when it was on. Oh, let's blame school. All right. Yeah, that sounds about right. And the second thing we want to bring up in the Joker's Wild episode. I said I would bring up Pat Ben's height. Ultimately, I could not find Pat Ben's height, but I can tell you he looked taller on Shop Till You Drop than he did on The Joker's Wild. Maybe he had a growth spurt. Maybe he had those heavy boots that make you like a few more inches taller. I don't know. Maybe he was just standing on a platform in Shop Till You Drop. Who knows? Who knows, indeed. All right, let's get on with the show. Theme song. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train. Episode 333. Submission number 2281, Three's a Crowd. And just so we note, we're talking about the sitcom Three's a Crowd, not the game show or the remake game show with Alan Thicke in the early 2000s on GSN. Yes, this is the sitcom Three's a Crowd. So we're not going to do the, uh, like we did for Second Chance, we play the different Second Chance games. No, 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 chance no 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 wrong three's a crowd no we're not doing that i don't even think i can find a clean version of the three's a crowd theme not the game show anyway anywho three's a crowd aired on abc from september 25th 1984 to april 9th 1985 for 22 episodes
perhaps the most open secret of 70s, 80s era television, that Three's a Crowd was one of the most popular, if not the most popular, show on ABC. I know and you know that Chico meant Three's company there. Oopsie. But it was also terribly beleaguered with issues that kept it from reaching its full potential. Evidenced by the many, many, many casting changes. Perhaps the most awkward sort of exchange between cast members would come as a result of this show, or at least the network, wanting a spinoff to continue the momentum from this series without any of the attached awkwardness. But to tell this story, because on It Was a Thing on TV, we believe every failed TV show has a story, we have to start at the end. And by the end, of course, I mean the end of Three's Company. By the time season eight rolled around, Three's Company was, like we said, one of the most popular if not the most popular show on ABC. Of course, if you remember back, way back when, we covered a spinoff of Three's Company, The Ropers, that didn't really do that well, but did give us early Jeffrey Tambor. Producers and network heads were pretty much resigned to the fact that they've taken the premise of Three's Company which, of course, was based upon Man About the House on ITV, created by Brian Cook and Johnny Mortimer, as far as it could go. And the producers were eager to capitalize on a spinoff. They've already tried with The Ropers. See previous entry, The Ropers. Ted Bergman and Don Tapner, the executive producers of Three's Company at the time, wanted to try again with the second spinoff of Man About the House, Robin's Nest. They tried doing a standalone pilot called Bird's Nest, spelled B-Y-R-D, where we have a completely unrelated character living with his girlfriend against the wishes of the girlfriend's father. Nobody picked that up. So they tried again with this show as a vehicle for Richard Klein. Nobody picked that up either. But something happened in the eighth season on ABC. Three's Company was scheduled against the A-Team. Oh, Susan. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Not wanting to lose what creative and commercial momentum the show may have left, ABC and NRW Productions teamed up to develop the next phase of the Three's Company franchise, which would be based upon Robin's Nest, which was, of course, the spinoff of Man About the House. But they had to be very hush-hush about it. The only person who would be carried over to the new series was, because this was based on Robin's Nest, the character of Jack Tripper, 
played by John Ritter. Richard Klein, Joyce DeWitt, Priscilla Barnes, and Don Knotts did not know a single thing about this show. In fact, during a Christmas hiatus in late 1983, when producers were auditioning several female leads to play Jack's new love interest, Vicki Bradford, Joyce DeWitt accidentally walked in on the auditions after visiting the studio to set up her dressing room at the end of the hiatus. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Big uh-oh. You can definitely the- say that again, Susan. Uh-oh. I said Susan, not Greg. <laughs> uh-oh. But yeah, big uh-oh there. So she eventually had to be let in on the project, as in let in on the information regarding the project and what that meant ultimately for Three's company. Turns out she did not take the news well. No. In fact, despite having reconciled with John Ritter about it, she and Priscilla Barnes found it very difficult to tape the rest of the season as both actresses learned that their characters would not follow Jack to the spinoff. Now, Richard Klein and Don Knotts were offered recurring roles on Three's a Crowd, but they both declined the offer. Although, Richard Klein would appear in one episode in 1985. And despite the fact that Suzanne Summers was reportedly lobbying to reprise her role as Chrissy Snow to be the love interest in question, ultimately the producers went with Broadway starlet Mary Cataret. And from there, it was time to execute Order 86. That's the right number, right, Greg? No, it's... Well, it might as well have been Order 86, though. It's Order 66 in Revenge of the Sith. But, yeah, Order 86 means it's canceled, the original series. So, whatever, Order 66, Order 86, same thing. Yep. So, rather than have an entire season to build its way into the pilot of the spinoff, it seemed like everything was sort of shoehorned into the final three episodes of Three's Company. And this flushed out in said episodes, which I have a lineup here. It started with the heiress. A customer of Janet's flower shop names her in his will, and she receives a vase. His nephew, Philip, an art collector, visits Janet, and Jack thinks he lied about the value of the vase and is trying to get it back. The nephew, Philip, is played by part-time Starfleet radio operator and full-time supermarket checker, David Ruprecht. Oh, yeah, because remember when uh, we did Magic Game Hollywood Squares Hour, Mike was wondering, oh, what was David Ruprecht doing in 1984? And this was the episode. No, don't lie. Everybody was wondering what David Ruprecht was doing, and really, we found out he was a semi-regular on Real People at the time. Yeah, the last season of Real People. Right. At the same time, Jack meets an attractive stewardess named Vicki Bradford, but between her father and her dates, 
doesn't seem to have time for Jack. And Janet announces that she and Philip are engaged. What? That was quick. Wow, this is awfully fast for Jack. He's just met this girl, and now he's like, yep, this is the love of my life. And same with Janet. I mean, where's Terry in all of this, I wonder? Terry's probably busy helping, like, two boys from New Jersey on their fortune. Perhaps. And then it all comes to a head on the series finale. I'm going to try and read this as quickly as I can. Janet's upset because she cannot have a church wedding, but Jack convinces her to have it at the apartment. Meanwhile, Jack thinks that Vicky wants a job far away due to her being misrepresented by her father, so he encourages her to take it. Vicky does not really care about the job and thinks Jack does not love her, thinking Jack encouraged her to take the job just to get rid of her. They initially break up, but Vicky interrupts Janet's wedding to tell Jack that she still loves him and that they realize they have a misunderstanding. They make up just before Janet tries to get them back together, and during the wedding, Jack stands in for Janet's father to give her away to Philip, since neither of the parents were present, because this was all moving very fast. After Vicky catches the bridal bouquet, everyone heads downstairs for the reception, hosted by Mr. Burley, who seems to be really cool to the whole Jack being gay thing. Jack and Vicky lag behind, especially since Vicky caught the bouquet, Jack sees this as an opening for him to propose to her. However, Vicky declines, explaining that her parents failed marriage, and fighting has scarred her from marriage to anyone, though she still loves Jack. Instead, Vicky suggests that she and Jack live together, but Jack wants something more, which leads to a second breakup. When Terry sees Jack sulking outside Mr. Furley's door, she reminds Jack of his love for Vicky, and that she is worth another chance, which reassures Jack into reconsidering living with Vicky. Fast forward one week later, after Janet's honeymoon with Philip, Larry's helping Jack and the girls pack for their move. Jack informs Mr. Burley that he will be moving into a one-bedroom apartment with a woman, indicating to Mr. Burley that he is no longer supposedly gay. Do you see the catharsis here, guys? Because Mr. Burley was apparently this sort of machismo guy. After all, this is Don Knotts we're talking about. Terry announces she will be moving to Hawaii to continue her career as a nurse, caring for sick natives, while Janet, of course, will go home to her new husband. As they leave, the trio says goodbye to each other and to the apartment, as indicated by the three of them taking one final look inside before stepping out the door, which was really hard to do because Joyce DeWitt and Priscilla Barnes knew that the end was coming beforehand. Later, Jack and Vicky are settling into their new apartment, which is right upstairs above Jack's bistro, which he bought from the old owner two years ago. They have a toast, and Vicky invites a nervous Jack to bed, and to calm him down, she says she's nervous as well, just as they start to kiss and, well, do other things. Vicky's father parches into the room, announcing that he's bought the restaurant and the entire building to boot. So guess what? Jack and Vicky, meet your new landlord. Corky, do you have anything to say about that? You won't believe what happened. I hope you're all paying attention. There will be a test later. So... Just to reiterate, uh, Jack Tripper, same guy, played by John Ritter. Vicki Bradford, same girl, played by Mary Cataret. James Bradford, the father, is played by Robert Mandan, who we all remember from Soap. And then Easy Taylor, Jack's sous chef at Jack's Bistro, is played by Alan Campbell. 
who we really wouldn't know from anything besides this. Except, of course, for five seasons as Derek Mitchell on Jake and the Fat Man. Oh, Jake and the Fat Man. Who could forget Jake and the Fat Man? Nobody could forget Jake and the Fat Man. It's Joe Penny and William Conrad at their Joe Pennyest and their William Conradiest. Yeah, what was in that teenish? Uh, was it cheese? I, uh, problem with cheese. Three's a crowd employed most of the same writers, producers, and staff from Three's Company. This was seen not so much as a spinoff, but as a sequel series. But the style was rather changed. Whereas Jack Tripper was a serial monogamist in Three's Company, he would be the devoted husband-type person in the relationship? I guess? And while Jack was basically part of an ensemble with four or five more characters, he would only be working with Cataret and Mandan. Of course, Easy Taylor, played by Alan Campbell, would appear from time to time to, you know, land the comedy beats where comedy beats need to be landed. He would be the goofy sous chef. And of course, because John Ritter was the 80s king of slapstick, they played to his strengths, but they didn't really play much to the strengths of his castmates, and the results pretty much showed for themselves. So you guys want to talk about uh, episodes? Yes, let's do it. All right. No, I want to sit here and think about Mary Cataret. What the heck do you think I'm doing here? I want to talk about episodes. <laughs> I want to think, I don't know. Now I want to sit here and think about Mary Cataret. She's a cutie. Anyway. No, I'm not going to lie. She was a cutie on this series. Okay, let's get to the episode. Yes, yeah, so let's get to the episodes. Episode one, Family Affair. Hold on a second. Are we going to see Buffy and Jody in this episode? No, that is another entry. Ah, uh, damn it! If you're I talking was... about the WB reboot, that is another entry. Yes, the WP reboot, which I didn't even know existed until it was brought up on the show. With Tim Curry as Mr. Tim Curry's Mr. Ratch. <laughs> so we're not gonna talk about when Buffy lost uh, Mrs. Beasley. Buffy lost Mrs. Beasley. You can just get another freaking doll that looks like Mrs. Beasley. Buffy, Zodi. For your lunch, I have made peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Would you make a sandwich for my doll, Mrs. Beasley? Yeah, sure. That's exactly what I feel like doing. Of course I can get together a little sandwich for your stupid little doll. Hang on a sec. So, family affair. Jack and Vicky have settled in, but Vicky learns that Jack hasn't told his family that he and Vicky are living together. And when his aunt shows up, he doesn't tell her, which makes Vicky upset. I thought we were past all this! I thought Jack was going to be a different man. He I hasn't changed. Was... Nothing has changed with <laughs> Jack. Nothing has changed. You were supposed to be better than what you were. Anyway, in the meantime, he hires a guy named Easy, who's not exactly the brightest bulb, to help him in the restaurant, and he causes all sorts of problems. Playing the role of Aunt May is... Oh, dear sweet... Billy Bird. Oh, yes. Billy Bird, of absolute legend. And she was in Police Academy for Chico. 
Yeah, citizens on patrol. The only police academy movie that matters. Yes, as we've established many times, Police Academy Four is one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces ever made, and we will all fight you on this. Yes, it had Tony freaking Hawk in it, y'all. It had Tony Hawk and it had David Spade and Sharon Stone. I forgot Sharon Stone's in that too. And Corinne Borer. Yeah, that's right. And Brian Tochi, who would go out to play Leonardo in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, he was the voice of Leo in that movie? Oh. He was the voice of Leo in that movie. Did not realize that. Okay. Episode two. The happy couple. Oh, the happy couple. Mr. Bradford offers to pay for the restaurant sprinkler system if Jack marries Vicky. Because Jack and Vicky were arguing over money, and Mr. Bradford wants to pay for the sprinklers if he can convince Vicky to marry him. So, are you wanting Jack to marry Vicky? Are you not wanting Jack to marry Vicky? What are we doing here? How badly do you want those sprinklers? How badly do you want those sprinklers, indeed? Hey, you want a pair of names in this episode? I do want a pair of names in this episode. I'm glad to hear that. In this episode, appearing as a delivery man, we have talked about this guy numerous times and not that long ago. William G. Schilling, the principal from Head of the Class. Yes, and making his case as a Hall of Fame candidate. Indeed, he is. He's making quite a case. He's appeared a couple of times. We did talk about him recently because he was Richard the Orderly on five episodes of ER. E slash R. Like that little sound effect I did there? Yes, I did. He was also on O Madeline. Then you want to talk about another name? You want to talk about another name? Oh, I said there are a couple names in here, so you handle the other name. Well, playing the role of Mrs. Cartwright in this episode is Melinda O.B., that you would remember her best in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, a couple of your stories, and all 13 episodes of future entry, The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man? They made a show about John Cena? <laughs> you know, I, I give Greg all of these cues, and he just nails them. How do you do it, Greg? You just set up the joke, and I'm there for it. Hey, one more place we might recognize Melinda O'Fee from. She was on the last week of the syndicated match game in 1982. Wow. Was she on that week with McLean? Was McLean on that week? McLean was on the entire final season. That oh, okay. Season. Well, I don't know. He could have had a week he took off for vacation. Well, McLean was basically Richard Dawson for that final season. I know that. But still, there were some weeks Richard Dawson had off during his run. That's no. Fair. No, he was on every episode. Until was he? he? Until he went Splitsville, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, she she was in the uh, the fourth seat next to McLean uh, in that final week as it limped towards the finish line. As it limped to the barn, as it were. As it linked to the glue factory. But hey, wait about a year and a half. It'll be back supersized. With Blackjack and hookers. And Hollywood Squares. 
and Bowser. Awesome. You know, Greg, I sort of wonder what uh, Gene Rayburn thinks about this new revival of match game we're talking about. Gene? You're gorgeous. Episode three, Maternal Triangle. Jack tries to get Vicky's divorced parents back together, hoping he can use their reconciliation to convince Vicky to marry him. Okay, so he founds the whole will they or won't they for this series, and it seems like it's being bred for success in that. So to get Vicky to accept his dating marriage proposal, Jack attempts to reunite Vicky's sports parents, and this is the first appearance of the recurring character of Mrs. Claudia Bradford, played by a future Hall of Famer, Jessica Walter. Oh, yes. Jessica Walter. Here's $10. Go see a Star War. And of course, you kids would know her best from Arrested Development and Archer. But we adults would probably best remember her as the voice of Fran on Dinosaurs. Yeah, Dinosaurs. But also, let's note that one day we will cover that episode of Dinosaurs where Robbie was jacked on steroids. Oh, I'm sorry. Again, why do I keep saying steroids? Yeah, not steroids, not steroids. They were thornoids. Thornoids. No, no, you, you can't say steroids on a Friday night on NBC, or ABC. Same difference. NBC, ABC, it has BC in it, whatever. Hey, so do dinosaurs, they have BC in it. Yes. All right. Yeah. All right. Fun fact about Jessica Walter, along with Norman Fell, who played Stanley Roper, they were both in a film titled Three's a Crowd, which has absolutely no bearing to this series. But we have another name in this episode, and that's playing the role of Armando as John Apre, who you would remember as Grandpa Nick Costopoulos on Full House and Fuller House. Oh, yes! Jesse's dad. Jesse's dad. He was also in two episodes playing two different characters of Silk Stalkings. Because after Monday Night Raw, you want to get Monday Night Raw. Boing! <laughs> I'm guessing since he played a grandpa, he wasn't the man meat of the week. This is your response every time there's a male character in Silk Sluggers. Was he the main heel of the week? It's a legitimate concern. It is a legitimate concern. But I'm still waiting for an answer. Was he the man meat of the week? He was not the man meat of the week. Okay, thank you. Episode four. Daddy's little girl. Aww. Vicky is sick. Jack wants to baby her and fuss over her, while Mr. Bradford arrives to also baby her and fuss over her. Mr. Bradford won't leave Vicky alone under Jack's care, and Jack tries to outdo Mr. Bradford to take care of her. You won't believe what happened! By the way, the sickness Vicky has? The measles. Oh, the measles, really? Let this be a lesson, kids. Get your shots up. Yeah, don't be like Vicky. And uh, we have a name in this episode. Playing Miss Rockwell, 
Liz Sheridan. Yes, Liz Sheridan. Of course, I know her best from Seinfeld as Jerry's mom. But Mike, you know her best as as Mrs. Akmanik on Elf. Yeah, ah, I kill me. That voice. Why is it trying to eat the noodles? We also have another person who is uh, doing things in the eighties. Well, actually, he was doing one thing in the eighties. George Deloyo, who would be credited as George Deloy and taking a break from Star of the Family, plays Dr. Billy Morris, who diagnoses Mickey with measles. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, because I am a medical professional, what adult has measles? Episode 5, Jack's Problem. His problem? Yes. What kind of problem does Jack have? Use your imagination, Gregory. Hey, Greg, I can help a little bit. I didn't have this problem when I banged that guy to death on my grinder date. Whammy, just... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. oh God. Hey, oh, Whammy, Whammy, I got a question. Yeah. Since... You were on USA with Pressure Luck, and since Silk Stockings was on Pressure Luck, were you ever the man beat of the week on Silk Stockings? Oh my god. What has this show devolved into? <laughs> Whammy, I need you to answer my question. Yes, and what about it? Uh, now I'm wondering if I even want to talk about this episode. I told like, the whole bag of the week to press her luck and press my meat. Good night, everybody. Wait, I mean, that's horrible. Just get off the... Just go. Oh, my. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm getting the heck out of here. Jeez. Greg, you scared off a whammy. Why did a whammy just run across my screen? I don't want to know. Anyway. So, Jack's problem. He has trouble performing. Performing? What do you mean by performing? I think you know exactly what I mean when I say performing. Use your imagination, Greg. Oh! Oh! Performing! Oh, okay. It's not like Mr. Burley's in the room or nothing. Nope. Gosh! So Jack, Jack, what are you doing on the carpeting? <laughs> so when Jack has trouble performing, Vicky wonders why. She talks to her mother, who says her father was like that, and it was because of another woman. What? What? She says that it's not it until she sees Jack with Easy's girlfriend. When Bradford learns that Jack is cheating on Vicky, he confronts him. Jack tells him about his problem, and Bradford suggests he see a psychiatrist. Playing said psychiatrist, Dr. Richard Kimberly, is James Karen, who you would probably remember in the 1948 telecast of A Christmas Carol. Oh, you don't even have to go that far back. We've talked about him. He was on nine, yes, nine episodes 
of the powers of Matthew Starr. And then playing Easy's girlfriend, Susie, is Deborah Goodrich. She was not in nine episodes of the powers of Matthew Starr. Yeah, you're right. She was in ten. But she was in an episode of a show that we covered on this very podcast, Double Dare. Not that one, the or 85, the other one. The 85 version. The 85 version, yes. Billy D. Williams in his cult 45. Uh, 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 uh. Episode 6. Okay, apparently Jack still has a problem because he's taking a vacation from sex. Mr. Bradford thinks Jack and Vicky have nothing in common besides sex. So Jack and Vicky decide to prove him wrong by abstaining from sex for a week. This is not going to work out well. I hope there is some sort of SpongeBob transition. Seven days later, and then Mr. Furley's like, Jack, you haven't had sex with Vicky for a week. What's going on? And we have one big name, probably a future Hall of Famer, playing a sports announcer, Peter Optimus Prime Cullen. Was this the first year Transformers was on the air? No, it would be season two, I think. Also, come on, let's not kid ourselves, guys. It's not Peter Optimus Prime Cullen. It's Peter, I was on the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show, Cullen. F*** off of that dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think that's a perfect time to take a break. We'll go over the rest of the episodes and what the hell happened to this show right after these era-appropriate commercials. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. New Year's Eve, the party starts at 8, 7 Central and Mountain when Hardcastle and McCormick move to Mondays with an all-new episode. McCormick moved to Monday nights at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. Hi, Grandma. Have you watching? Maybe she's running for office. Come on. Can you be that dumb and run for office? To work for the State Department takes intelligence. Are you coming, dear? Efficiency. Not quite, ma'am. Leadership. I got a camel. Or a lot of luck. Goldie's become a diplomat in Wait. protocol. This is a real natural high for me. Rated PG. Starts Friday, December 21st at a theater near you. I don't want to grow up. I'm Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys of Toys R Us that I can play with. Jeffrey, I want something new to love. There's so much to love at Toys R Us, like poseable Cabbage Patch Kids by Panache Place. Only $4.97 each. Aww. Only $21.97 for LJN's Babyland General Cabbage Patch Kids Hospital. There's a whole crowd of Cabbage Patch Kids at Toys R Us. More game, more toys. Oh, boy! I want to be a Toys R Us kid. Timex knows this is going to be a marvelous Christmas. The Timex wafer-thin digital, our expansion band quartz, and our sweet second-hand quartz. There are over 90 Timex Quartz watches for women. And they are gorgeous, one and all. Happy.
happy holidays from all of us to all of you. Monday, two great rivals go at it. The Cowboys battle Miami on the season finale of Monday Night Football. Then, when Jackie falls in love, her father has trouble letting go. All right, you're grounded. There's no more playing for it. Call the glory, all starting at 6 tomorrow. <laughs> We're back. Greg still hasn't booked his trip to Cleveland to throttle Mike, so we'll continue. <laughs> Episode 7, A Matter of Money. After a counterfeit $100 note is found in Jack's Bistro's bank account, the police ask Jack to help him identify the counterfeiter. Was it Mrs. Collins, played by Mitzi Hogue? Was it... Man number two, played by Lee Ving, a.k.a. Mr. Body from the Clue movie. I am your singing telegram. Or was it somebody else? I don't think anybody knows who did it. Wait a minute. There's somebody in the police lineup. Oh, my God. It's Mr. Bradford. Uh-oh! Uh-oh! Uh-oh. <laughs> Mr. Bradford, what are you doing in the police lineup for this $100 counterfeit bill? You a bad man. Episode 8, The Honeymooners. Mickey and Jack go to Acapulco to enjoy an unofficial honeymoon and to get away from Vicky's overbearing father. But when they get there, they find out they have to share the same hotel room... With their father. What? <laughs> How did he arrive? Well, Greg, I got the answer. Somebody had to operate the video camera. Go ahead, everybody. He had to be the cock in this situation. <laughs> he was the Gruder in the situation. You're absolutely right. Oh, my God. It doesn't matter how many shows we're to on this podcast. We're always going to bring up the time a Gruder watched. <laughs> or it's Fishburne and Kristen Wiig sex in that one episode. Is the first episode. Yeah, the first episode. Boy, that show came in with a bang. Oh, by the way, in a B-plot, we have Jack mistaking an air marshal for a hijacker. What?! Jack, no, stop. Why? Why would because you? Because he's Jack freaking Tripper, that's why. Jack, it's 1984. I think you're going to be fine with the security on the airports right now. Uh, playing the air marshal was Terry Wills, who was a that guy from that thing. He also played, oh God, oh God. He played Carl on the Golden Girls. It was a season three episode. But yeah, he was a that guy from that thing. And oh, also playing the airline captain. Hey, look who's back. It's Peter Optimus Prime Cullen. Yeah, I said what I said and I said it with my whole chest. Okay, I'm bringing it up again. I'm sorry. It's Peter I was on the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show, Colin. 
and I will fight you to the death over it. Oh, I bet you will. Hold on, Greg's and... chiming in. Wait, 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 what is that? He... Oh, he's got the middle finger held up. Okay. <laughs> I respect your opinion, but you're wrong. You respect my opinion right now? No, I'm talking about Greg's with the, the, the middle finger. Are you doing the same? No, no, nope. okay, your, your opinion's a little bit better. No, uh, mine's you, you, just the Yankees thumbs you, down guy. Yeah, yours is going down while Greg's is going way up. Okay. Thank you for making your presence known, Greg. Episode 9, A Little Competition. The owner of a new restaurant opening down the street from Jack's Bistro happens to be Vicky's old boyfriend. She almost married! What? Yeah! This guy was played by Matthew Faison, who you would remember from two of the many Friday the 13th movies. Oh, my mistake. He was in one Friday the 13th movie and one Nightmare on Elm Street movie. My mistake. He was in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Episode 10. A Foreign Affair. When Bradford wants to get out of paying his ex-wife's alimony, he arranges for her to meet a rich friend of his. When Jack overhears him making the arrangements, he assumes that he wants to get back together with her, so he tries to help, hoping it'll change Vicky's feelings about marriage. The uh, foreign affair in question is a man by the name of Carlo Fabrizzi, played by Stuart Moss, who was in two different episodes of Star Trek, the original series, and one episode, one of the five episodes of previous entry Beyond Westworld. He was also on an episode of Riptide. Oh, Riptide. I love Riptide, but I don't love it as much as Wings, which, as we know, 33 episodes ago was the first time I ever brought up on this podcast that I love Wings. Not only that, this is the first time you brought up how it made Tony Shalhoub's career. It was the first time I ever brought up that it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Can you believe that previous to that, I never said how much I love Wings? Never. Episode 11, James Steps Out. James is seeing a younger woman, an artist by the name of Lee Pelosi, who's played by Sharon Wyatt, who hasn't really done much. When Vicky learns of this, she's not comfortable, and she asks Jack to talk to him about it. Vicky decides to talk to the girl and learns something that she wasn't expecting. Also in this episode, playing the role of Paul, is Jeff Kagi, who is in two of the seasons of Viper, when they were forced to do it on the cheap. Episode 12, Father Knows Nothing. Jack and the Bradfords think Vicky is pregnant. What? How could they get that idea, I wonder? But it's not Vicky that's pregnant. Oh? It's Easy's dog. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's that's healthy. It is. That's expected. Yeah. Jack, what? I mean, come on. How are you getting those confused? It's Jack Tripper. He jumps to conclusions. Often, he falls over conclusions. Could you imagine if Jack witnessed a murder and, like, he'd get the details of the murder mixed up? Oh, boy. 
And can you imagine if Mr. Furley was there too? Jack, what happened? There's a Jack guy here. Jack can't explain it to the cops. You've got a paranoid guy and a guy who just is very lackadaisical and forgetful. Yeah. Hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues indeed. We could have written a great episode of Three's Company back in 1982. It would have been the funniest episode ever. Would make you forget about all the drama. You know, for a sitcom, Three's Company had a lot of drama. Episode 13, A Friend Indeed. A friend of Vicky's comes for a visit, and while she and Vicky are alone, she tells her about the new guy she met. Later, Jack overhears her talking to someone on the phone, saying she's met someone, and Jack thinks he's talking about him. When Vicky has to go away on a flight, Jack doesn't want to be alone with her, but can't tell Vicky why. So he thinks she's coming on to him, so he'll try to keep her at bay. Playing the role of said friend, a lady by the name of Dorothy, an equally cute lady, Gail Edwards, from It's a Living. Okay, yeah, I got it. Episode 14, A Case of Sour Grapes. When Vicky gets a large refund from the IRS, she wants to invest it. So she turns to her father. Jack feels insulted that she doesn't ask him. So she gives him the money, and what he does is buy some wine. Oh, Jack. When he tries one of the bottles, he learns it's turned bad. Not wanting to hurt Vicky, he tries to get another job so he can pay her back. But it seems to have trouble at the job he gets. And apparently it's at a sushi bar or some sort because playing the role of Mr. Katsumura, Clyde Kusatsu. Legendary actor Clyde Kusatsu. And we'll talk about him at some point, I'm sure, because he played Margaret Cho's dad on All-American Girl. Yeah. He also played a role in... Was It was either... Tales of the Gold Monkey or Bring Him Back Alive. It was some show that was made to capitalize on the Indiana Jones craze. We'll be talking about both of them as well. Episode 15. Private Lessons. Jack gives Easy tips on how to act on his date with a college girl he's fallen for. But she likes Jack. Oh, boy. Kids seem to get rid of other women for some reason. Why is that? Episode 16. One ego to go. Jack's ego is hurt when Vicky receives a $25 a week raise, beats him at a game of trivia, wins a teddy bear throwing baseballs better than he had a carnival, and then the final straw comes when she has some friends over, one of them a history professor, and Jack tries to impress him by pretending to be a history buff by reading from a history book. When he's caught, he feels dejected and humiliated and down as he leaves home. Oh. This is a guy who spent his entire life nursing a bruised ego, and now this happens. Episode 17. September Song. Jack defends Mr. Bradford when he is accused a public nuisance. 
This, this happens after Jack and James get drunk together, and James is arrested and ends up in court, having been charged with urinating in public. Uh-oh! Uh, playing the role of Judge Hancock is Priscilla Morrill, who you would probably remember from the original FBI from 1965, as well as the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, one more I'm going to add. She played Marion Vanderkellen on Newhart. So uh, that would make her Stephanie's mom? Yeah, I was just about to ask. I was like, that's Stephanie's mom. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. I mean, given her age, yeah, I'll buy it. So her son-in-law on the show would be Peter Scolari, I guess? Eventually. Yeah, but once remember, they get married, right. But remember, none of that happened. Oh, yeah, because it was all a dream. Oh, yeah, it was all a, b- a bad dream from some bad sushi. Yep. I bet it was Jack Tripper who served it to him. Anyway, episode the, eight. Wait, 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 wait. I got a question. Mm-hmm. When did the Regal Beagle move to Vermont? Just a question. Franchised? I don't know. Episode 18, Deeds of Trust. Larry? You remember Larry? Larry asks Jack to go with him to a party, despite knowing that Jax's ex will be there. Vicky lets him go. Of course, this is the grand and glorious return of Larry Dallas, as played by Richard Klein. But playing the ex, the woman that everybody calls Greedy Gretchen, future show Hall of Famer Teresa Gansell, y'all. Oh, you're right about future Hall of Famer. It isn't a question of if she's going to get in, it's when. Episode 19, The New Mr. Bradford. Jack saves Mr. Bradford's life, and his gratitude smothers Jack. Episode 20, King for a Day. Jack's ego inflates due to a good restaurant review. And when that glowing review is published, Jack forgets the one thing that you should never, ever, ever, if you are in a committed relationship, ever forget. He forgets his and Vicky's first anniversary. Oh, no. I thought you changed. I thought you were a man now, Jack Tripper. Well, apparently he's not. Well, guys, we mentioned the Emperor from Star Wars earlier in this episode. Well, guess what? We got the original Emperor in this episode playing the character of Harley Douglas is Clive Revel, who played the original Emperor Palpatine in The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, you mean it wasn't that other guy? It wasn't Ian McDermott in the beginning. It was that guy. Oh. And then they replaced him when the movie got released on DVD. Much in the way that... um. They replaced uh, that one guy with Hayden Christensen. Oh, yeah. In uh, Return of the Jedi, yeah. Guys, do you want a little bit more royalty on this episode? Oh, do, do we? Love. Oh, yeah. Playing Princess Lyanna Derenzi on this episode. Oh, yes. Yes, say it. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Gene Simmons, Shannon Tweed. You know what this means. What's that? 
She was on Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. But yep. she was also, I think, on regular Hollywood Squares as well. Was never on Match Game. But also, she was on an episode of Married with Children. I think it was like season nine where uh, Al and uh, Jefferson, they rent a cabin and uh, somehow end up taking a photograph of uh, Shannon Tweed uh, in a compromising situation. I think it was like nude in a hot tub. And uh, she finds out and uh, Al decides to eat the negatives. And ultimately she comes back and says, everything's cool. In Al's defense, it's Shannon Tweed. Well, also, I'm sorry, Shannon Tweed, with all due respect, I know we're all older than her probably at this point, but she would have been like close to 40. I'm sorry. Which means, uh, take a look at IMDb. She's 65 now. Nobody should be getting eugenics, Chico. 65. She's old enough to be your mom. I got a question. Oh, no. What? Did, did she have the 30 on Match Game Hollywood Squares? It's called Instant Research. He's going to search all the episodes to see if she had. Dear God, if she had the 30, we're going to die. I got to find out what she. What, she was on I the second week, wasn't she? She was on the second week. Yes. Okay. She was on the uh, the week uh, that uh, that guy that looks like Ricky Schroeder was on. She was on the episode where Gary got robbed. Oh my gosh! Never forget November seventh, nineteen eighty three. Gary was robbed. Gary was robbed. Okay, you guys continue. I'm doing research. Episode twenty one. Jack gets trashed. When the company that collects the restaurant trash raises their rates, Jack is so upset that he wants to go to City Hall and complain. Bradford tells him that you shouldn't ruffle any feathers. Vicky decides to go, but because of her cold, can't. Jack offers to go and talk to the council, but the head of the council stonewalls him because Bradford is one of their supporters. And one more little detail. The guy who owns the trash company is James Bradford. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So Jack gets an offer to air his grievance on a radio talk show. When Bradford hears of Jack's plan, he tries to set him up for a fall. Because James Bradford is a member, card-carrying member, on a 1%. Fun for me, but none for thee. Uh, play one of the members of the uh, council, Ronnie Pine, Ethan Phillips. Oh, yes, Ethan Phillips. From both Benson and Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, but also, we talked about him in Not Another High School show back in episode 150. Mm-hmm. Episode 22, the final episode, A Star is Born. Vicky, goddess on Earth, gets a chance to do a commercial for the airline. Jack accompanies her to the audition and clashes with the director. My god, Jack. In the end, the director decides not to use Vicky. Her parents tell Jack to apologize to the director, but the director's boss says they want Vicky for the commercial anyway. When Jack arrives, the director tries to get Jack to grovel, 
But when he learns that they actually want Vicky, he turns the tables on them. The director offers Jack a part of the commercial, and he and the director continue to clash. Okay, but we talked about Fran Sinclair earlier. Playing the director. A man by the name of Alex Cummings. He is the director. Stuart Pagan. That's right. Earl Sinclair. This would be, aside from a brief cameo in the movie Stay Tuned, the final appearance of John Ritter as Jack Tripper. Yes. Hey, guys. You just talked about Stuart Pankin. Mm-hmm. How can you forget in Batman the Animated Series, he was the Condiment King. That's right. We forgot about the Condiment King. I guess we couldn't catch up. What can I say? Hey, with James Gunn's plans to reboot the DC movie universe, who knows? Maybe he'll give the Condiment King his own movie now. Oh, also, Greg, uh, I do have some closure about Shannon Tweed on Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Yeah. She had the 24 times and a 10 once. And that was the same week that Eddie Mecca was on. So maybe they went for some pizza. Hey, she did tweet. How about we go over and get some slices in LA? Hey, how would you like a cannoli? Hey. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'm going to meet Gene Simmons in a couple years. I'll get his cannoli. Oh, Christ. I was talking about a cannoli. What the hell were you talking about? Use your imagination. Yeah. So I'm assuming with the title of the final episode of Star is Born, it did not end like a Star is Born. No, it ended like the Barbara Streisand version of a Star is Born. Horribly and all too suddenly. Well, at least it wasn't a scene... Like in the uh, Lady Gaga Bradley Cooper version where Jack pissed himself. Oh boy. You remember that scene in the Lady I, I Gaga do. Bradley Cooper Star is Born? I when, do. when she's getting the award and he literally pisses his pants on stage. I was f- dying in the theater. <laughs> so, what went wrong? Aside from. I don't know everything. For one, it seems like John Ritter, as great a comic actor as he is, could not mesh with any of the cast members. And nobody wanted to build a show around them. It was always the conflict driving the show. Instead of character we're building off of conflict. Which explains why Bradford frequently cycles between wanting Jack to marry Vicky and wanting to kick Jack as far away from Vicky as possible. And while Robert Mandan worked really well, according to a review from the New York Times, the fact of the matter is nobody could just get out of Jack Tripper's way. I mean, this was supposed to be all about the ensemble. I mean, that was the magic of Three's Company, that it was an ensemble piece. Three's a crowd seems to be more, let's keep John Ritter on television for as long as possible. 
after all, he is one of the highest paid sitcom performers at that time. But there was no development whatsoever. Everything just felt stale and stilted and I I is this this is one of those shows where you may have liked as a kid and you wanted to continue liking as an adult, but it just was not happening, was it? Nope. And of course, the schedule didn't help either. Much like Three's Company's final season, Three's a Crowd was on opposite the A-Team. That'll do it. But here's the thing. Here's the odd thing. ABC was more than willing to give the show a chance to grow. Because opposite the A-Team, it did moderately well. Certainly well enough to air reruns on daytime. And out of the 77 shows in the 1984-1985 season, the show placed 39th. When a show places 39th out of 77, that's basically, it's on the fence. If we can find a place for it, we'll put a place there. And ABC was willing to give the show another shot. The network would only commit to half seasons of 13 episodes. John Ritter would not return to the role unless it was renewed for a full season. So ABC decided to go ahead and pull the plug on Three's a Crowd, instead opting for the final season of Different Strokes. Oh. Which, by that time, was canceled by NBC already. I'm looking at the schedule, and remember when we talked about ER, how it was facing the A-team? Well, yeah, wasn't it also going up against Three's a Crowd and yeah. the final Three's Company at that point? Yeah. Yep. Three's a Crowd was having the same problem, but it did get better ratings than ER. Certainly enough for ABC to consider bringing it back for a second season, but ultimately, John Ritter wanted to negotiate for a full season, not a half season. So they were all but happy to just let it go. Nowadays, you can still see Three's a Crowd on Tubi and on Pluto TV's Three's Company channel. And it's also on demand on Pluto TV. Every episode is on demand on Pluto TV. And indeed, some of the shows were incorporated into the Three's Company syndicated package under the title Three's Company 2, or its original title, Three's a Crowd, depending on what market you're watching it in. What else is there? Well, I mean, we could talk about how their careers were affected. I mean, obviously, John Ritter, his career was just fine. He did Hooperman, and he did Eight Simple Rules. He was also in both Problem Child movies. And I was just going to say, the Problem Child movies and Robert Mandan went on uh, to a long career. He always had the Pyramid gig to fall back on. He he was one of Pyramid's favorites. Mary Catterett, though. Yeah, her her star sort of fizzled out at this point, but she has a second career, as it were, now 
she owns an antique shop in Connecticut. Yeah, because she's from Connecticut originally. Yeah, she owns the Nug and Bug Antique Store, Antiques and Collectibles in Marlboro, Connecticut. And Alan Campbell, I guess he returns to the stage after, you know, the stint on Jake and the Fat Man. He was actually in an Amazon movie, Uncle Frank. I only mentioned this because a friend of mine, uh, Michael Perez, was also in that movie. But yeah, he's been keeping busy as well. So, Three's a Crowd. It was a bit of a favorite. Not as good as Three's Company. But certainly not the worst show on television at the time. And it didn't really harm the careers of anybody who appeared on it. But in the end, ABC was hoping that Three's a Crowd would be the next big thing. Unfortunately, it was just a thing on TV. You can listen to all 400 of our things on TV that we have posted on our website. It was a thing on TV.com. We're talking about episodes, minisodes, live watches, all the good stuff, links to our socials. Of course, we are on all the socials, and it was a thing on TV, except for Facebook, because three's a crowd, and we only ended up with it was a thing on TV podcast. Remember, we are also on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit that notification bell to stay up to date on all of our future entries, including... A blast from the past to celebrate the holidays. And when we say the past, we mean all the way in the past. Anybody who's been a regular podcast listener knows we love our episodes having to do with commercials. We did Hulk Hogan commercials. We did Ric Flair commercials. We've done three separate installments of hometown commercials. We're going to give you another commercial episode later this week. Yep. So grab your joysticks and head to your local dumpster because the fun is back next time, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Tuesday, three's a crowd's at its new time, and Jack's got a problem. It wasn't impotent, important. It lands him on a psychiatrist's couch. Then Mona gets caught robbing the cradle. Too bad you're not ten years younger. Who's the boss after three's a crowd? Tuesday, starting at 8, 7 central.